0: Hi, I'm Elena Joe, and this is episode 7 of Big Picture Relationships, What Kids Need to Know About Drugs. After working with substance-abusing teens for 15 years, I take a slightly different approach toward teaching with my own children from a very young age the dangers of drugs. Listen in to hear how I talk about how, number one, drugs are awesome, but number two, substances affect the biology of the brain, they can increase mental illness and lifelong addictive tendencies, I teach my kids that number three, escaping via chemical feelings messes up the development of their emotional skills that those, those kids are going to need to be a normal functioning adult in their future. And I teach them that number four, drugs and alcohol interfere with important social skills development. If they cheat by using mind-altering substances too early, they might be stuck at the social and emotional skills of a 13-year-old forever. There's a lot in this episode. Let me remind you that you don't have to take notes. There's a summary in the show notes at elanajoe.co. And I wanted to make a handout of talking points to use with your kids for this episode. I did, and it turned into a full on, like six page pamphlet slash ebook. So that is also available in the show notes at elanajoe.co. I worked hard on it, so you should take a look at it and use those talking points with your own kids, neighbors, nieces, nephews, anybody you can influence. Thanks so much for being here, and let's jump into this important topic. This is Big Picture Relationships with Elena Jo, a therapist sharing insights, ideas, and real-life pep talks that encourage you to expand your perspective, maybe shift some behaviors, and make the most of real-life relationships so you can live a happy life right now. Hi, we are here today to talk about preventative teaching approaches for a very pervasive challenge that faces most of our kids, and that is brain-altering chemicals. Now, I'm going to call this drugs. You're going to hear me refer throughout this episode to drugs or maybe to substances. When I use that term, drug or substances, here's what I'm talking about. Yes, hard drugs, you know, the ones we all grew up being afraid of, heroin, ecstasy, methamphetamines, all that, but I'm also going to be talking about marijuana, about good old smoking, nicotine, tobacco, all of that. It is a brain-altering chemical, while it may be legal. Also, vaping, smoking's younger sister to take the stage, younger, much sexier sister. And alcohol, which is also a mind-altering substance. So just know that when I'm talking about drugs or substances, I might be using those interchangeably. And the bottom line is whether they are legal or not, and whatever your stand for yourself is on these, none of them are okay for kids. Now, when I was growing up, we had D.A.R.E. programs, you know, say no to drugs. There was the Just Say No campaign, and we thought of drugs as something you got in a dark alley or from a man in an overcoat or maybe that one really bad friend who pressured you and followed you around and you had to say no. That is not what drugs and substances look like today. Now, smoking, we all know smoking's out there. It's still the same, and it's relatively on the decline. However, smoking, sexy little sister vaping has come in there are fancy vape cartridges and if you haven't seen them they are the size many of them and shape of a small usb drive they are teeny they are smaller than your thumb and they can fit right in your pocket and there are fancy flavors you can have watermelon and pear and spearmint and all these other things and if you think that this is not in your sphere i would bet you money i would bet you a hundred dollars that you cross paths with somebody regularly who vapes and you don't even know it. There are going to be a few people at your work or in their gym bags at the gym around you or even a few of the parents in that school pickup line have these cute little USB vape cartridges in your pocket. Not judging that for adults but I'm giving you the prevalence of how easy these are for teenagers to get and how surrounded they are. Imagine my surprise as an adult getting together with some old friends earlier this year. All of our kids are playing downstairs. so We're having grown-up conversation, you know. And two of the friends in our group pulled out their tiny little vape cartridges from their pocket and took a puff right there in the living room. And one of them was a THC vape. So a little bit of marijuana going on, which was not legal in my state. So if this happens to an adult sitting around, guarantee your teenagers are not that far removed from it. Just last weekend in Utah, I was at a popular ski resort, and it was the evening time at the end of a good day of skiing. I pushed through a crowd of people. It was like late twenties, early thirties professionals. These are respectable people who have day jobs, probably corporate jobs. The kind of guys that are building their career, have young families at home, or working, you know, fifty, sixty hours a week, and. They're sitting there comparing their vape cartridges. There were three or four of them out being passed around. And the guys are talking about, oh, yeah, this one has X percent of THC. Oh, this one has this much more. Oh, really, THC? So these professionals, and it's right there. I'm walking through it just last weekend. This, Which leads us to marijuana in general. It is increasingly legal. This is not just leaves and rolling joints or smoking a bowl anymore. There are colorful gummy bears. There are cute little mints shaped like Altoids. There are suckers. The teen boys in my program come back regularly and say, well, there were pot brownies at work again tonight. And don't worry, I said, no, you can drug test me. So here in Provo, Utah, pot brownies at work. A good friend reported to me that earlier this summer, she was at a family reunion and was really surprised when three of her adult cousins with families were sharing some edible marijuana, just a small dose. And they said it really took the edge off at this good old religious family reunion really helped them enjoy the family and escape the drama a little bit more with a little bit of chemical help. Now, yes, there are still hard drugs around. They're not always easy to find, but they're around. They are not just in back alleyways. Pills are passed in the hallways at school. I'll step away from that, though, and even say that pills are in your cupboard at home. They are left over from someone's wisdom teeth removal or mom's last postpartum recovery. Uh, Those are opioids. That is chemically heroin. Be aware of that. Leftover ADHD meds are technically, uh, in their makeup, meth. And there's always good old alcohol, if not in your house, then in the neighbor's house or in your friend's parent's house, which, you know, for generations, teenagers have found attractive and relatively easy to get a hold of. Whatever your decision for yourself as an adult with a fully formed, healthy, functioning brain, we hope, teenagers should not have access to this stuff. Their brains are growing and developing, and introducing these chemicals at this young age is a big deal and can alter... Their brain makeup and their skills in ways that I will go through here in a minute. Now, I know that drugs and substances are a fear for many parents. Last week, when I woke up at four in the morning thinking about this and finally having a direction for this episode I've wanted to do forever, I posted about it on my Instagram stories, and I was amazed at the people coming out of the woodwork saying things like, this scares me more than anything, or, oh good, I really need help about this, or even sad stories like, I lost my sister to addiction and I'm terrified of losing my kids So I know there are many of you that are thinking these same sorts of things. So here today, we're going to talk about a preventative style of teaching. This is based on the experiences that I have had as a therapist for teenagers for the last 15 years. I am a master's level mental health therapist. I'm not a licensed chemical dependency specialist, but that's okay because I have worked with students and teenagers with drug addiction that was largely self-medicating for their mental health issues for my entire career. And I want to talk in layman's terms today, not so much about healing from addiction, but the preventative ways we can teach. I have worked in my career with teens who've lived on the streets of LA or Chicago or bigger cities. Really, I have horrible stories about harder drugs and girls who had pimps or dealers or who were sleeping homeless in bathrooms in between fixes. They're heartbreaking stories of true deep drug addiction in that way. But I also have stories of entire families for whom soft drugs were a daily occurrence, and the harder stuff maybe came in on the weekends or for partying. And I've had to try to help students like that escape that family pattern of addiction, and they're up against a really hard thing after a foundation where it's introduced so early. I, In more recent years, as my kids have gotten a little softer in the school that I work in, I still have boys who are introduced to marijuana at the age of 11, 12, 13, hanging out with their older brother's friends. Now, this is not in inner cities. These are suburban families, white-collar families for whom marijuana is hidden for a long time. Parents don't know about it, and then it becomes so pervasive that it's in all of their groups of friends. It colors everything in this family's life, and it's really hard to escape it's hard because these boys, once they start so young, are they lose interest in all age-appropriate activities. It's so much easier to sit around and smoke a bowl with your friends and have something to do in a guaranteed friend group all the time. So for anyone interested in how I approach teaching my own kids after the up-close drug epidemic witnesses that I have from this teenage culture this is for you. And I. these points I'm going to lay out don't go in order. This is stuff that's happening simultaneously, interwoven all the time. And you don't even have to take notes of this episode. I have a downloadable PDF of the highlighted points on my website at www.elainajo.co. So listen up. You can find notes there if you find it helpful later. And let's dive in. Let's start with my point number one that I make with my kids. Drugs are awesome. That's right. You heard me. Drugs are awesome. I think we sometimes try to shepherd and shield our kids away from the fact that they are enticing for a reason. There's a reason that people love their drugs. There's a reason that it's hard to give up. They make you feel good. They make you feel relaxed. They help you be more social, uh, help you have more fun. They feel really nice. How many of you, if you didn't have the consequences, might actually think, yeah, it'd be kind of nice to check out like that? If we keep that a secret from our kids, we will lose credibility with them when they figure out or learn from their friends or experiment and find out how awesome they actually are. And we lose so much of the power we have in teaching our kids by keeping that a secret from them. I have a friend who jokes around that his whole, like, young childhood growing up in early teens, he was taught, don't start making out with girls. It's so bad. You know, don't be kissing. Don't get physical too early. And then when he started kissing and making out with girls, he's like, it was awesome. Are they kidding me? Like, all this time I wasted thinking that it was going to be so bad, but it was awesome. We need to take that power, that oomph, that fascination about how awesome drugs are away from our kids by talking about it, openly acknowledging that right from the get-go. In a way, that takes the wind out of their sails. Because, come on, anything that parents think is cool or awesome automatically loses some of its credibility. And the more you acknowledge how alluring drugs are, the more you help kids have a healthy respect for the dangers of that enemy. And you quickly, I mean, you wouldn't sit around talking about how awesome they are and leave it at that. Of course, you follow that up with things like, wow, drugs are so powerful that you'd give up other kinds of fun for them. Or they're so entertaining, they're so powerful that it's better to sit around with your friends doing drugs rather than finding other kinds of fun. Or, man, that addiction is so alluring to them that they'd rather sit out in the cold and smoke a cigarette. Then be inside at the party. Help your kids understand that drugs are awesome. And that's also the downfall. Number two, this I mean that leads right into number two. That drugs, nicotine, alcohol, vaping, marijuana affect the biology of the brain. Even little kids understand this basic principle of biology starting to depend upon a chemical. If it's an older teen, I might draw brains and explain all the chemicals and all that. But even for younger kids, you can simply say through a story form something like, oh yeah, they're smoking that cigarette there on the side of the road. It's probably helping them feel pretty good right now. Would that feel good? Yeah, it would. Okay, but then the next time you wanted to feel good, what might you go to? Oh yeah, a cigarette again. Okay, so there's a drug in that cigarette called nicotine that interacts in your brain and it makes you feel real good. But the trick is, if you keep going back to that to make you feel good, your brain starts to depend upon it. And in fact, you do it long enough, your brain starts to think, I can't feel good without that chemical. And even my little kids understood this. So have conversations like that with your kids. Ask them, hey, does that make sense? How would you describe it? And it starts out as really fun, but then what? Would you like that? Would you like having to have that chemical to feel like you could have fun? And if you start this with young enough kids, they totally get it, and they are willing and able to say, no way, I know how to have fun without that, so why would I need that? Now, a side note, in our older kids and teens, or even for you listeners who feel like it's not that big of a deal for teenagers to experiment or use, because, you know, everybody does it, substances rewire the biology of the brain. They truly do. Um, especially during those formative years. That's why it's so important for teenagers. Some of you may choose to use all of the substances I listed. That's your choice. A teenage brain who's legally a child and in our care, that teenage brain is developing and wiring itself and learning skills we'll talk about in a minute. And the effect of chemicals on that brain are extra potent. Um, For one example, marijuana interferes with the development of the myelin sheath of neurons. So picture this network of neurons in your brain and they connect and, you know, rapidly, rapid fire can share information between neurons. The myelin sheath is like the plastic coating that goes around all those wires that connect together. If you've seen a copper wire or something, it has a nice plastic protective coating over it and inside are a bunch of little wires. Well, the difference between neurons that have that myelin sheath And those that do not, or it's eroded or degraded, is like the difference between dial-up internet and high-speed fiber optic internet. I don't even know if that's the right term, but, you know, really, really fast. So this is why marijuana, especially in these younger brains that are forming this important myelin sheath, It slows down their processing speed, and I have worked with enough teenagers who did enough drugs, including marijuana, which they tout as, you know, has no effects and no overdose. It interferes in the brain and significantly slows down the processing speed that will affect them for the rest of their life if that myelin sheath isn't coated and grown in their teenage years. Addictive tendencies that develop during developmental years are especially set in the brain, especially hardwired. That's why we see all the billboards about how alcohol is damaging to a teenage brain and, you know, say no as a parent till they're older. One other example that you could give your kids, it's a little bit biological, but inflammation is kind of the newest craze in all the research and in dieting even and in health. But inflammation in the body happens even from vaping, from the chemicals that are in vaping pods, even the vaping pods without nicotine in them or without something that you would call a quote-unquote harmful chemical, there are still chemical coils and other things involved in them that increases inflammation in the body. This also increases through smoking, through marijuana use, through drinking, through other... Basically, all of these drugs increase inflammation in the body. And when a body has increased inflammation it's at much higher risk for flipping on, turning on the switch of the epigenes in our biology that can trigger mental illnesses. Now, you might hear people say, oh, marijuana causes schizophrenia or, you know, drugs cause these different things. And That may be true of acid, but in other, even in these lighter drugs, if you have the genetic predisposition, perhaps somebody way, way back in your line had schizophrenia, which is a hard to combat thought disorder. It's having voices in your head, paranoias, delusions. If you have any marker for that in your DNA, it doesn't necessarily turn on. It doesn't become active for you. But given high enough inflammation in the body or triggering by these substance-induced chemicals, you can turn on schizophrenia. You can turn on those genes for depression, for bipolar disorder, for other issues. It's so much smarter, especially in these developmental years, to minimize inflammation in the body from these substances. One last statistic. Every year before the age of 13 that a teenager tries marijuana, quadruples their risk of turning on that schizophrenia gene if they have it in their DNA anywhere. So a 13-year-old who's experimenting with marijuana is four times as likely to turn that on as a 14-year-old. A 12-year-old then is eight times as likely, and an 11-year-old messing with marijuana is 16 times as likely to turn on that schizophrenic uh, marker in his DNA as somebody, an older teen, is. Teach your teenagers that the biology of the brain really gets affected during these important formative years when they start introducing chemicals. Okay, I also teach my children that substances affect emotional skill development. What do we mean by that? Well, growing brains are learning how to handle boredom anxiety, sadness, rejection, you know, all those awkward emotions that are no fun for any of us to feel, that a growing brain in the early teens finally starts to be abstract enough to really feel and understand those sorts of emotions deeply. And if your teenager skips over handling those feelings by checking out through substance use, when will they learn how to do it? And I tell my kids, do you want to be dependent on a substance for functioning your whole life? Imagine how chemical brain experiences compare to the hard work of learning how to balance your own emotions. If Dustin, who is naturally high-strung and an anxious sort of kid, can have just a little marijuana in his system, and I mean just a little, like enough that nobody even notices, he feels so much more relaxed, but he never learns how to relax or to deal with anxious personality traits on his own. If Sarah can sneak a few shots of liquor when her parents aren't around, She doesn't have to sit at the end of the day with the uncomfortable feelings from school that day, and she can just check out and easily slide into sleep. Now, if Alex can sneak just a little bit of his brother's ADHD meds, the hit of that meth equivalent is 10,000 times greater than the pride that comes from finishing his homework or emptying the dishwasher. Why would he even do homework? Why would you work hard to chase a weak feeling of pride or satisfaction when the chemical form is so much easier? Your kids should know these sorts of real-life scenarios and temptations like this and what will happen for them in the big picture. Talk about this. Will Dustin remain anxious and nervous his whole life without marijuana? And how will that affect his future, even if he can figure out how to work with marijuana? Is that going to affect where he can live or the types of jobs he can have? Will Sarah ever learn to face uncomfortable feelings and feel strong enough to accept that not everybody likes her and some days really suck? Or will she self-medicate with alcohol in the evenings forever? And if she doesn't learn as a teenager how to handle her uncomfortable emotions, when will she? If Alex prefers the intense high of a chemical to the quote-unquote boring natural high of a job well done, how successful will he be in his life? These are the sorts of frank, inquisitive conversations that I have with my kids before drugs even enter their sphere. And they kind of like talking about it. Remember, it's like this sensational topic. So talk about this with your kids. Help them understand it. Number four, I also teach my kids that substances dramatically affect their social skill development during these preteen, teen, teen, and young adult years. These are awkward years, and I help normalize that for them. They got to learn how to enter and exit a conversation without feeling stupid. They got to learn how much to share about themselves, how much to listen to other people, how to approach the people that they like how to tell somebody that they like them, how to ask them out, ask them on a date, ask them to a dance. They've got to learn how to find common interests with people and find which groups of friends they fit with to find ways how to entertain themselves, how to, when they're bored, actually either get social or figure out a healthy way to do this. But imagine being able to skip all that awkwardness, all those middle school years that I hate. Imagine if instead you could so Easily find a loose, easy, overconfident brain. If you could find something to bond with your friends over in a group that automatically accepted you because of your shared interest over a chemical. This is the danger of our kids skipping over these awkward years and loosening things up and making it really easy with a chemical. To a short sighted teen, this is an epic solution. It is so awesome. And they'd be like, Yes, sign me up. But when Susie's first co-ed hangout is super easy with a little chemical social help, it will always be awkward after that and awful to talk to new people and try to figure out how to be in a co-ed group. She will always remember how easy it was and how fearless she felt when she was under the influence. When Ben attends his first school dance a little bit high, it's going to be easy and awesome for him. Because remember, drugs are awesome. Normalize that with your kids. There's a reason that people love their drugs and go to them. Any school dance after that where Ben might try to go sober is going to pale in comparison and be a lot harder. Jenny's first sexual experience happened under the influence of ecstasy. I know that sounds like, whoa, way out there drug, but ecstasy is a teeny little pill handed out sometimes at innocent parties. And every other experience after that with intimacy was boring. Of zero interest to her because that first experience with ecstasy was so powerful. Our kids need to know that while these substances may appear awesome, they do, they appear awesome and easy, drugs poison their social experiences. They poison their social learning in an overwhelming way. Our kids need to understand the major danger of drugs that if they don't learn these social skills now, when will they learn them? Many teens I work with are finally having to confront awkward social skill development when they are sober for the first time at 16 or 17 years old. It is awful for them. They're confronting both social skill their lack of social skills and perhaps real emotions for the first time in their teenage life at the ripe old age of 17. It's awful. They are feeling real feelings for the first time and they're five years socially behind their peers who've paid the price through all that awkwardness to learn and to grow and to gain skills. They don't fit in anymore. They feel awkward. And you can see why they'd want to escape to a false social confidence or to a group of people over with whom they know they easily connect over a substance. We need to paint this picture for our kids and to talk about the dangers of shortcuts we got to normalize for them how awkward and hard being 13 or 15 is. And if we talk openly about what will happen if they try to take that shortcut to confidence and friends and happiness, they'll know before the shortcuts even come that they don't want to take them, that they don't want to get there. So have these conversations with your kids. Okay, this is getting really long. And my goal for this podcast is to have bite-sized episodes that can leave you thinking. We're going to break this in half. I have seven points here. We've gotten through the first four today. Join me next time. I'll drop an episode in a few more days that will explain the second half of how I talk to my kids about drugs. All right, happy hack for today. Since part two of this podcast is going to talk a lot about frequently conversing with your kids, let me give you my happy hack for the funnest game and way to engage your kids in conversations. We play this game in the car all the time, and it's called Would You Rather. This is not new to many of you. I know we didn't invent it, but it is hilarious with kids of all ages. And even I love when my husband joins in and we play Would You Rather, I don't know, give up hamburgers or pizza. Would you rather lose an arm or a leg? And it's fun to hear everyone in the car chime in and give their reasons why. Would you rather be barefoot for the rest of your life or have to wear four-inch heels for the rest of your life? And this one I'm still laughing about that my daughter came up with last time we played. She said, would you rather live in a mansion, a big, beautiful mansion, but you had to clean blood off the walls every morning because it's haunted and it has an epic hot tub, but vampires join you every time you get in it? Or... Would you rather be a hobo with a really nice car? These are mind-blowing. It's really fun to play games, talk with your kids, connect with them in this way. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. Thanks for joining us. Visit www.elenajo.co for show notes and random photos along with any handouts mentioned in this episode. Find ElenaJo.co on Instagram for daily big picture reminders and join the big picture email list for an occasional pick-me-up in your inbox from Elena Joe. Thanks for joining us.